Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. We got a special guest on, longtime friend of the pod, Luke G's Field Review. What's going on, Luke G? What's going on, brother? You How you been? Man, I've been straight, man. How you been? It's a great time to be a Lions fan. I know that. Uh, depends on who you ask. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> depends on who you ask and how you ask. You know, that's, that's how I look at it. And it's a little weird because for the first time in a very long time, the national media is actually paying attention to the Detroit Lions, having great things to say. And you hear all these great things about the Detroit Lions and the odds just came out. And I don't know if you pay attention to Vegas a lot, but you guys currently are the leading favorites to win the NFC North for this upcoming season, man. So what's your thoughts on that? I feel like you know when when examining the NFC North, they are they are looking at it with the anticipation of Aaron Rodgers being out of the division. They're looking at it with, uh, you know, just in general of saying that hey, they are further along in their rebuild, and what they did in the last ten games, you know, going eight and two in the last ten games, that should yield some type of success. But to me, a lot of that is just talking points and lip service from from the national media and from the Vegas. Because guess what? They know how to play on people's emotions, right? And if you were, if you were, they know that people bet with their hearts and not with their minds in most cases. And so if you can play on a person's emotions to get them to invest money in something based solely on emotion. This would be the one to do it because you want to hear about them in the news. You want to hear about them in when you read, right? Every media platform is talking good about them, right? And so at this point, I feel like Vegas understands that. Now, the one thing I will say is Vegas has a point. You know, should the Lions win the division? Um, they should. But then again, I thought that they should have been a way better team record-wise last year. And we you fell had them short. At 10 wins, didn't you? I had him at 10 and 7. I had him yep. at 9. Yep, I had him at 10 and 7. And the reason I had him at, at, at the 10 and 7, I said they can go further, but I did not trust the defense. And my, my fears were true that the defense was who I thought it was. And I think when you look at it coming into it this year, um, I think a lot of people are expecting for the defense to take the next step. But when I look at Vegas and, and, and the question if the Lions should win the division, Maybe they should, right? I thought the Vikings were fortunate last year, but they're obviously retooling, so no biggie there. The Packers should be done without Aaron Rodgers. They should be done, right? But we don't know that. Jordan Love may come in and have a whole other problem. And the last time I checked, one of the biggest kryptonites to the Lions defense is a mobile quarterback. So it's a lot of things that I look at that makes me wonder if Vegas is just trying to get you to bet again with your emotions or is Vegas truly saying, hey, they should win the division? And to me, if that's Vegas standard, if fans believe the hype of Vegas, if fans believe the hype of this offseason, and fans believe what they saw from the last 10 games, then they should be coming in with expectations of you got to win a division. But I, I think it's only a few who will have that expectation. I think most fans would just say they got to make the playoffs. When it comes to the defense last year, we already know it was a mess. It was guys running free left and right when it comes to that secondary. It's like, oh, my goodness. But you guys done a lot of work in free agency 
to better up that defense. Which free agency signing do you think will have the biggest impact for the Detroit Lions this year on the defense side of the football? If you heard that moment of silence, that's what I feel. I, do I like do I like Chauncey Gardner? Yeah, I do. But he hasn't been healthy not one season. He's been in the league, and I do I think that he's a good player. Absolutely, he's a good player. But chances is they're going to probably use him more in the slot at that third safety uh, in the slot. Okay, fine, right? So you get a slot guy in Chauncey Gardner who's who's coming in on uh, coming off of a lacerated kidney that should be healed up. So okay, great. Um, but we also signed Alex Anzalone. There's nothing about that that excites me. Nothing. Um, you know, you go out, you sign Isaiah Bugs. Oh, he's a rotational guy. He should have rotated himself off this team. You could have probably got him well after the free agency period ended. Um, well, we signed John Kaminsky. I like that move. It's not a, it's not a bad one. At least I felt like he had a little bit more going on with him. But, you know, I can live with that. Uh, we bring back Will Harris. After signing Cameron Sutton and after you're bringing in Emmanuel uh, Mosley, and I'm thinking to myself, well, what is the role of Will Harris? Like, what are we doing with this? So for me, there isn't a lot for me to get excited about because, you know, I want to see it all come together, right? You know, if I were to, if you were to uh, tell me, hey, Luke, I'm making gumbo, and I say, oh, <laughs> Luke loves some gumbo. And I get there and it's in the can. Now I'm trying to figure out why you lie to me. You know, so for me, I need to see it all come together before I can get fully excited about it. I feel like, you know, when it comes to our free agent signings, yeah, I like Chauncey Gardner, but, I, you know, I like the Elliot, but I had the same questions about Elliot. Will he stay healthy the whole season? And Elliot did not. The question is, will Chauncey Gardner stay healthy the whole season? And if he does, what are you what are you as an organization prepared to pay him? Because he's gonna want to get paid. So um, but for me, in terms of what we did in free agency, um I was just okay, you know, uh, uh whatever. You know, like it wasn't nothing that really jumped out to me that made me go like, oh yeah, this the one, this is it. I didn't get that. I didn't get that feeling, not this season. Now if we had to ask you, you know, like, what would be the impact of some of these guys like Cameron Sutton and Emmanuel Mosley? What do they bring into the Detroit Lions defense, per se? Because at least we can agree that both, both of these guys should be an upgrade compared to what you had last year. But I don't know if we can agree to that. You know what I mean? No. You, we, we talk about upgrades, right? So let's let's be honest, right? We talk about upgrades. Anything can be seen as an improvement, right? So let's say, for example, let's say I uh, let's say I take a test, right? Let's, just, let's take it to school. Let's say I take a test. The first time I took a test in this class, let's say I got a seventy-five. The next time I took the test, I got a seventy-six. I technically improved, right? But it's still much of the same. It's still much of the same. And when I go through and I look at Cameron Sutton, one of the things that jumped out to me was I watched faster receivers cook him. And I'm not talking about like 
you know, let me turn a little heat on. I'm talking about he wasn't even close, right? And for some reason, there's this overly abundant love affair with that, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to be this and he's going to be that. But then I started asking questions. What's different between Cameron Sutton and Mike Hughes? Really, what's the difference, right? Because that's what they said about Mike Hughes. Is he's going to come in and do this, this, and this. And Mike Hughes was very forgettable. He right. And you know, then I go through Mosley, and I'm thinking, okay, and everybody, oh, the 49ers were so upset to lose him, yet they didn't get him no contract. Stop playing with me. I hate when people try to, you know, reinvent history because they're now on your squad and now they're the second coming of Jesus. Now, could he be a diamond in the rough? He probably could. But he's been in the league just like Sutton for well over three seasons. And for the most of the part, he, he's been just about that. He's been somebody that you you know was on the team, but was he a difference maker fully? Depends on who you ask. Like if you ask his mom and dad, yeah, he was amazing. Right? But for me, what makes him different from, from picking up a guy like uh, um, uh, Jacobs uh, that we picked up when we added Jacobs back? What makes him different from him? It's much of the same to me. There's nobody that jumps out in, in that regard to me when it comes to that cornerback position. And so this idea of an upgrade, I want to know what they're what, – like I would love to know what the Lion fan base expect in terms of an upgrade. Because for me, it's a it's – a, you know, it's – I feel like we swapped out the players for the same players. You want to tell me that, oh, Amani Warrior was a liability? Okay. Because I'm, I highly doubt – that many of the Lions fans were watching Steelers games that close, I'm, or 49ers games that close. And the one thing I know about the Steelers, because my entire family judges me for not being what the family enjoys the most, which is a Steeler, is Steelers don't let good defensive players walk. They don't do it. They just don't do it. If it's like, I remember when they had Joey Porter. They waited till Joey Porter got on the other side of his prime and said, oh, okay, we can probably live without it. Lamar Woodley, he got on the other side of his prime. Okay, we can live without him. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. The only person that they didn't even really have a chance to let walk on because he retired was Troy Palomalu. But they would, but you know, I take him all. They probably they pretty much forced him to retire because he didn't yeah. have nobody else. Yeah, and so you know what I'm saying? They don't let good defensive players go. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's not a good defensive player? No. Does that mean he's not going to make plays? I'm sure he is, right? I'm sure he's going to make plays. But the reality is, is this idea of upgrade, please tell me what that looks like. If you're telling me that well, it's an improvement, sure. Upgrade is questionable for me because, like I said, you can go from a 75 to a 76, and technically that's an upgrade slash improvement. But you're still in the C-grade average. Now, we we we've been on the defensive side of the ball, but you guys also signed the running back who I'm a pretty big fan of, and David Montgomery, who changes teams in the division. How do you feel he fits into the Lions' offense? He'll be replacing Jamal Williams. A lot of Lions fans were really upset that you guys didn't resign him. A lot of Lions fans, I think, need emotional support animals, right? Because 
I love the David Montgomery signing. It was my favorite signing of the free agency. It's the one that I think makes them the most scary and dangerous. Uh, don't get me wrong. Jamal Williams was, was good. Love the attitude. Love the energy. Love all that. Right? I don't take nothing away from him. I told Lions fans, the moment he broke Barry Sanders' record, if you think he's coming back here for a discount, you're fooling yourself. Everybody go, well, he took $4 million with the Saints. He wasn't taking that with you. And, and, and to prove that to you is they they said that they gave the same deal that they offered David Montgomery. They offered Jamal Williams, you know, and he thought it was disrespectful. And I told people what was going to happen. I said, he's going to tell them, but I broke Barry's record. That record has been standing for years, and I broke it, right? And my thing is, is this. When I look at David Montgomery, what he brought to the table, I don't care about the stats. Throw the stats out, right? I saw a really good player stand out from a really bad team. I saw a player that half the time was getting captured in the backfield, and then I look up, he's freaking five, ten yards down the field. I'm like, what the hell just happened? I see a person who makes it hard for you to have an offense be a tail. Excuse me. So what I mean by that is, like, when you look at um, Jamal Williams, when he came in, if I was on the defensive side of the ball, I would assume that you're 90% running the ball. You won't have that problem with David Montgomery because he can catch up the backfield, right? He can do all these things that mixes it up. And in terms of a change of pace back, he can get you those hard yards. He can get you those grinding yards. It's my it's my favorite signing. It's it's by far my favorite signing. And you want to talk about an upgrade? That's an upgrade. That's what an upgrade looks like. You know what I mean? Like if you go from if you go from say 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 we had a went from Jamal Williams to say like Ronald Jones, that's much of the same, right? But to go from Jamal Williams to David. Now that's an upgrade. That's not that's not going from a 75 to a 76. That's going from a 75 to an 88 to a 90. Because he's going to bring so much more to your team that you was never going to get out of Jamal Williams. That's a signing that that I'm in love with. That's a signing that I'm like, yes, I want to see that. Those are the signings that I'm used and expected to seeing uh from the Lions to have. And that's why I get excited about him. But to, to the Lions fans who act like, oh, we lost Jamal Williams, y'all, you know, like like y'all do all the time, y'all will be just fine as soon as the first game happens and y'all will forget about him. It always happens. Everybody, Lou G does hate all of the Detroit Lions for agency signings. He just is really skeptical, but he is really excited. At least we can say he's excited. Oh, I am. I'm excited for the season. Montgomery. Yeah, I'm excited for the season, and I'm excited for David Montgomery. David Montgomery, to me, is going to change the way things happen because I watched him on the Bears, and I'm like, bro, can we just tackle this brother? Like, seriously. I watched him. And then there would be other games where, you know, I'm like, why does it seem like this dude just can look like he's there but then not be there? And I wanted him when he came out of college. And we didn't get him then. So, you know, sometimes things come full circle. Now, now funny funny thing is, is no joke, and I, I wish I can show you this, but, you know, I play Madden, right? And I play the franchise mode, and I like to build my teams. And ironically, we went to the offseason just recently, um, and the two free agents I picked up were David Montgomery and Chauncey Gardner. Right, and I did that, and everybody in the league months later came down and you know, 
and say, bro, did you hear y'all added? I'm like, what? And like, you added them. I'm like, yeah, I know I signed them in free agency. They're like, no, no, in real life. I went, what? Blew my mind, right? And um, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, now people say, yeah, but you just say you're not that big. I said, no, I, I I'm I'm happy with Chauncey Gardner. I just hope that he can stay healthy for the whole season. And speaking of Chauncey Gardner, what impact or what do you feel he brings to the Detroit Lions defense when it comes to schematics and from an X's and O's standpoint? Is he strictly going to be a safety because you do have Kirby Joseph, somebody who I really loved a lot out of Illinois. You could move him to the slot. Like what impact what no, you role could he potentially have? Yeah, you can't move Kirby to the slot. You you know, this, you know, Gardner's gonna be the guy I think that's gonna move around. I wouldn't dare put Kirby in the slot. That, that, well, I meant I meant Chauncey. I meant Chauncey. Oh, okay, yeah, because you said you said put Kirby in the slot. No, nah, you, you put Kirby in the slot when you want to give up plays. Because in my opinion, you know, I watched I watch a tight end do him dirty. You know, I watch a tight end from the Bears do him dirty. That tight end ain't that fast. You'd have thought that tight end was was Pitts. It's not he's not Pitts. That's that's not that's not Ingram, you know what I mean? Like like no, nah, we're not gonna do that. So, I feel like they're gonna use him as a, as a hybrid. This is a guy who's played linebacker. This is a guy I mean, in the league, in the league. He's played linebacker. He's played cornerback. He's played safety. And so I I, I, I suspect that they're gonna use him in that way. Put him everywhere. Put him at linebacker. Put him at safety. Sit him on blitzes and stuff like that. Let him get involved in it. See, he he fits that mode of, of grit that they talk about. That gritty guy who's who wants to be involved. Yeah, do that. But no, no, he's gonna he's he's gonna be, I think, a rotational piece on certain packages where it'll be him and Tracy Walker. And you know, whoever they decide at cornerback, you know, <laughs> we'll see. We'll pray about it. But I think, yeah, they're gonna use him all over, and that's how they should use him. You know, you want to give him opportunities and create space. But I would, you know, I wouldn't dare put Kirby Joseph in a slot. That that's a setup for failure. That's that's like taking your ice cream out uh, uh, off off your uh, cone and walking into like a sauna. It's just gonna melt quickly. So no, I, you know, I think they're gonna move him around. I think they're gonna use him to confuse, uh, to set blitzes and to set you know different type of coverages. And I think that's that's a good thing. So again, it's a good signing. But can he stay healthy for all sixteen games? Now, what are I don't know how deep you've watched Chauncey Gardner, but from your early impressions of him, what are the two best traits that he has that are going to be useful into Detroit's defense? I know you touched on versatility, but what else? It's the reaction. His reaction to the to the ball is everything. And so to me, I love a player who has a, a great deal of reaction. He trusted his eyes a lot. And when you look at many of the interceptions that he got, it was just reaction. Oh, the ball was let loose. Boom. Let me react on it. You know, split second thoughts like, boom, oh, it's loose. And some of them were just reactions where it's like, oh, that ball popped up. Let me get that. He never stops tracking the ball with his eyes and reacting to the ball. And I feel like if the ball was somehow accidentally punted to the bathroom, he'll still pick it off because he'll, he'll react to where it's at. So to me, having that versatility, having that ability to react in that you know, regard to be quick with it. Those are the two traits that they love. That's what people look for. Those are the things that make me excited about adding him, right? Because it's that reaction, you know? And to me, you know, anybody who can have that great deal of reaction, that that's where it is that. So, um, you know, 
when you look at most cornerbacks in the league, the best of the best are able to react to the ball and do it in a split second. And, and so too often I see cornerbacks who attempt to play the receiver and they do that wrong. And the ones who try to play the ball just want to look like they made an effort, but they was never really in position to make the play. And so he would change that with his ability to be able to re- to read and react and play in different spots to confuse the defense, I mean, the offenses that they're going to play. If you guys haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to Luke G's Field Review. Luke G, let the people know where they can find you at. Shameless plug. Hey, it's not shameless about this at all. This is absolutely well worth the the moment. So look, my, you know, again, I'm on Luke G's Field Review on on YouTube where uh, it's a show that's definitely about the Detroit Lions, but it's about you too. You can feel free to hop in, even if you're not a Lions fan, and tell me I suck. As long as you're willing to have a respectful conversation, I'm down for it. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, I'm also on Twitter at uh, uh, Luke uh, LFG. Um, and on Instagram, I'm at Luke G's Fear Review. So it's you know not hard to find on there neither. And you can hit me up if you ever want to join me on the show. Maybe I'm playing, you know, maybe the Lions is playing your team that week. Hey, I get you on. Let's talk about it. Um, I don't shy away from a good conversation. And, you know, that's pretty much it. It's going to be raw, right in your face and honest. Uh, I'm going to keep it objective. And so uh, the emotions are checked at the door and, um, you know, just trying to keep it realistic about what I see from my team. Make sure that you guys go ahead, subscribe to Luke G's Field Review. I will have the link to his YouTube channel and all his social media platforms down in the pinned comment section down below in the description. And Luke G is somebody that if you're a diehard football fan and you love the more logical analytical side of the game unbiased opinion straightforward not really too many emotions involved then loot g is most definitely the place for you to be if you are a detroit lions fan or just a fan of the nfl in general i've been dying to talk to you about this man i haven't talked to nobody else about it. i haven't even talked about it myself i've been wanting to talk about it for the last couple months but i said you know what i'm gonna say this for loot g what should the lions do with the sixth overall pick or who should the detroit lions drive six overall in, in my opinion you know i'm looking at impact and i'm not it's not just right now but long term too and and so you know i don't like the idea of cornerback at six i know that everybody um is like oh my god what do you mean you got to get a corner you could have had a corner last year could have had sauce gardner you took aiden hudson all right so not saying that we're not happy with aiden hudson but i don't want to play this game i screamed i've been screaming we needed a cornerback for the last two two years i told people when when okuda came out he's not worth the top 10 pick let alone the top five and people thought i was joking and i was wrong about it well that aged really well and so the reality is 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 if i'm sitting up there i'm telling myself what can i do that makes the most logical sense and that that can be followed and to me that's take a quarterback now if if the quarterback is not there let's say take whoever your top three quarterbacks are right if your top three quarterbacks are bryce young cj stroud and anthony richards for whatever good reason you think anthony richards in your top three that's your power to the to the b um if one of those three is still on the board and you're at six you take them well luke that doesn't make sense well yes it does Jared Goff has a contract that really has this year and next year left on it. And if you let him go ahead and bounce next year, you get almost $30 million back in cap space. $30 million. You know what you can do with almost $30 million? 
You can do a lot with that kind of money. But I would, you know, I would take Hendon Hooker at six. Oh, well, Luke, but he hurt. I don't care. I don't give a care he's hurt. If he wasn't hurt, he would have been one of the top draft picks in this draft. He'd have probably almost been between the second or third quarterback taken off the board anyway, had it not been for his injury. Well, Luke, there are teams who need quarterbacks who can still take him, and he probably won't go into the second round. Yeah, because they're going to think and hope that people skip on him because of that mm -hmm. injury. But the reality is, is this. You don't have to be one of those people. Well, Luke, why we can't get him at 18? Okay. Well, let's just play let's play the devil's advocate game. You look at the teams between our pick at six and 18, a lot of those people need a quarterback. And if you think we can get them in the second round, well, news flash, it's not it's not for the faint of heart that the that the Rams are trying to move on from Stafford to get some relief in their cap space and to get younger at the position. And they pick ahead of you in the second round. And you look at another team. A team that many people may not have thought about, but here's a fun one for you. The Baltimore Ravens. You see, we act as if though that these other teams would just say, forget it. But sometimes teams will look at their situation and say, I don't mind waiting a year. And since how he's going to sit anyway, I will take Hendon Hooker. Now, to the Lions fan base and the people who are not Lions fans who think that I have lost my mind, remember, this is the same team who took a hurt receiver with an ACL injury and let him sit. And they had no problems with that. They then went out and spent $10 million for a one-year deal on DJ Chark, right? And 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 if we can allow a receiver, because I've never, ever, ever, ever heard of a team drafting a receiver high to sit. I've never heard of that. Not until Detroit, all right? <laughs> and so all I'm saying is, is if we can do that with a receiver, why not a quarterback? Because guess what? Although, let's say, for example, that um let's say for example he hurt but he, he's able to still play if you look at the lines right now there is no backup quarterback the only quarterback on your roster is jerry goff and so i will get my future quarterback on top of us not like to me i don't expect for the lions to be picking top 10 top 15 next year so if you want a quarterback next year you're trading up and you're probably giving up majority of your draft capital i don't want that now, let's say, for example, to the people who hate that idea, I offer you option number two. You really going to not like this one. I would just draft B. John Robinson. Oh, come on, Luke. We just, we just, we just took David Montgomery. I love David Montgomery. Yeah, but if you do, I say, I love David Montgomery. But we got DeAndre Swift, and DeAndre Swift, who I love, hasn't been healthy. And the Lions have ran three running backs before. So my attitude to it is, who gives you the most impact if you're stuck at six? It's B. John Robinson. There isn't, there isn't, you, you know, there isn't a cornerback you can take. And many of y'all are gonna say, "Well, what about this player?" I haven't got to that. I'm just working you through your options. But now I would take B. John Robinson. This. Let me ask you about this. All right, you have James Houston and Aiden Hutchinson, right? Mm -hmm. Jalen Carter. With what's been going on lately, there's a real possibility that Seattle says, "You know what? We'll take Ar." And the teams ahead of Seattle are kind of mostly looking at QB, Colts, maybe Cardinals probably take Will Anderson most likely. But if Jalen Carter's there at six, you know, is it worth draft taking the risk? You draft him. You draft him. You, you draft him. Don't you blink twice. Don't SOS nothing. Do not pass go and collect $200. You draft him. Your interior of your defense is not strong enough. I love Aline McNeil, 
but he needs some help over there by himself. And as much as I like Kaminsky, that's great, but you draft him. If he's there, you take him. Because anything that they want to talk about, oh, he may have some character. Where did these character issues come in at? I didn't hear nothing about no character issues until people tried to figure out how to correlate him to bad media and, or, or something that he didn't do. Was he racing that night? Sure. Was his car the reason that the other car crashed? Nothing indicates that. Oh, but, you know, people thought even making up stories. He was driving drunk. Really? So you mean to tell me he was driving drunk, racing, and made it all the way home drunk, bypassed every police officer who was looking for him in his car? I got it. Come on now. I'm You know, if he's there, I'm taking him because I need to take the talent. I want the guy that's going to be there. And the reason I didn't go with, with him at first is because many Lions fans are like, well, he got concerns and he came into the workout. He looked out of shape. Y'all was all willing to take other people who were in that same position. Oh, well, you know, that I heard rumors that he, that he can't play all three downs. Neither was Davis when he came up out of there. And, and all the Lions fans wanted him. We also added, at one point in time, we added Snacks Harrison, who couldn't play all three downs, and we were happy about that. I don't need him to play all three downs. I need him to wreck shop on first and second. And on third and long, we'll put in Kominsky. That's what he's there for. That's what he's there for. So I don't need him to do that. I need him to be disruptive. Oh, he came in nine pounds heavy. I've, I mean, this is going to sound delusional to many people, but since when has it been an issue for your D tackle to be fat? Like, when did that start? I don't when do all of a sudden now a heavy set D tackle seems strange. Everybody's not gonna be built like Aaron Donald. What Aaron Donald does is mentality. It's not body, it's mentality. And so, you know, much like how John Randall was, that you know, it was a mentality with him. So, no, I don't want to hear that. I, my first option is if Jalen Carter's there, I'm taking him. You know, now now realistically, my biggest first option is trade down, but I'm only I always like to live in the reality. What if I can't trade the pick? And if I can't trade the pick, I'm just going. I'm taking Jalen Carter if he's there. And if Jalen Carter's not there, I'm going quarterback. And if quarterback is that I want is not there, I'm going B. John Robinson. Why? Because guess what? The deal that you gave uh, David Montgomery allows for him to still be there in a the capacity to be a tandem, and that means that uh, a Swift deal is getting ready to end, and you'll still have two dog running backs to to wreak havoc on people. I can live with that. Earlier, before we started recording, you were talking about Brad Holmes, and you had some really strong opinions about Brad Holmes. Concerns, concerns, not opinions, concerns. What are your What are your concerns with Brad Holmes? Why Why are you skeptical about Brad Holmes? He because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not skeptical though, JT. I don't want. I don't want to miss. I don't want to because I'm real. I realize that it's the way things are worded that gets people to think a certain way. I'm not skeptical of Brad Holmes. I am critical of the things that Brad Holmes have done in terms of resolving the biggest issue with the Detroit Lions. If you were to go back to the previous coach regime and the general manager before he came. And ask every Lions fan and every media person what is the worst part of the Detroit Lions. They would have told you defense. They'd have said under Matt Patricia, all three of those years, the defense was high garbage. Right? He comes in. He's been here for two years. This is his third year. The worst part of the Detroit Lions is what? Defense. And so when I bring that up, I bring that up because 
I watched a, a fan base bring out pitchforks and flamethrowers and, and, and say, fire Dan Campbell. And I'm thinking, you do realize Dan Campbell's an offensive guy. You do realize that the offense was a top five, at one point, top number one scoring offense. I said, but when you go through and you look at when they went one and six, it was because of the defense. You score as many points as you did against the Eagles and you give up more. You scored as many points as you did against the Seattle Seahawks and you give up more. And you steady do this repeatedly. You give up a big play twice to the Vikings to lose that game. Don't even get me started on the New England game. We can't talk about that. And when you needed a win to give you a chance to get to the playoffs, what do you do? You give up 241 yards of rushing in the first half against the Panthers. And so the biggest issue has been defense. And when I look at the last two drafts and the people who say that, oh, you couldn't fix the defense in one draft, you're lying. You're absolutely lying to the people who say, oh, our salary cap was messed up. You're lying. That's another lie. These are myths. I, I, I keep the receipts. We had cap space. We had uh, the ability to make moves. And my issue with Brad Holmes is why do you keep investing in hurt players on this prove yourself to me stuff? Like, 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 what is this? Every person he brings in has a knee injury. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not being funny. That's the reality. All They come in with ACL injuries all the time. And he gets them to come here. And people think, oh, these are cheap deals. But most of them, $10 million for one season? For, for do you think Chark, who came off of a knee injury? That's a lot of damn money. You know, we were paying these dudes. People forget. I, I watched all, I watched all those in the damn videos where you got you got uh, uh, Dorsey over there calming him down when he was getting ready to trade up for Sewell. When it was clear to everybody who's paying attention that Sewell was not being drafted before any of those people. He was getting ready to trade up for Levi Anzarike. And Dorsey stopped him on it. Like he was he he gets real antsy. And then what happens is is the Lions start taking L's, and the first thing everybody wants to do is go to the easy target. Oh, you got a meathead coach, and he clock management in him. What are you talking about? Coaches get fired when their side of the ball don't perform. Don't believe me? Go talk to the Vikings. There's a reason why Mike Zimmerman is not there anymore. The Vikings defense stopped performing. He had to go. Don't tell me that, that it's not like that when I look at the Denver Broncos who go out and get an offensive coordinator and hack it, and they take all this big chances and this big swing to get – Russell Wilson, your offense sucked. He had to go. So at the end of the day, there's examples type of examples. When your side of the ball is not performing, they usually get rid of you. And it happened with the Lions. Matt Patricia supposed to be a defensive guru, the rocket science. But for three years under his belt, the defense was hot garbage. I'll play devil's advocate with this one, okay? Because, like, I hear your criticisms. You feel me? But I do think, you know, like, we do have to give Brad Holmes some credit with how he's drafted, you know, and not just with Aiden Hutchison, James Houston out of, um, what's that university? Jackson State. There you go. He was mm -hmm. a pleasant surprise. I don't really think too many people expected him to have the kind of rookie season that he had. So it's like that was kind of a big of a late round gem that Brad Holmes was able to draft. Yeah, I hear you on the fact that he has, you know, a weird 
fetish with bringing in guys who have like injury history on prove it deals and you know the whole one year prove it try to find a bargain try to find the whole upside thing doesn't really pan out most times in free agency but with jameson williams though i think you know i probably would have traded up for him if I knew that I was going in, well, not trade up for him, but I probably would have drafted him if he was on the board with the fact that, you know, I'm going into a season where, yeah, I would love to make the playoffs, but I'm still having that rebuild mentality. So I'm willing to wait for a guy like Jamison Williams to come around because I know what that potential is going to look like. And when Jamison Williams got on the field, even though he played sparingly, the impact wasn't huge. It's like he had a good amount of flashes that show you hey okay we see what this guy can be if he reaches his full potential and brad holmes you know he has made some questionable signings some that haven't panned out his free agency signings you know like you ex like you alluded to mike hughes earlier didn't really work out but i think the rookie drive class that he brought in last year was pretty solid for the most part i think with brad holmes I wouldn't say like I'll be more critical of him. I do think if I had to grade him on a scale of A through F, I probably would give him a B, not a B minus or a B plus. I'll give him a B. I think he's done a pretty good job at least building up the young core that the Detroit Lions have. How 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 what's your thoughts on that? I won't disagree with your grading, right? But let's let's look at the reality. You you go up and you trade up 20 spots, give up draft capital. To take a receiver who couldn't even help you, who you technically didn't even need. You still had the number one scoring offense, and he wasn't even on the field. Wasn't even on the field. Wasn't used at all. Wasn't useful at all. Yeah, he had a few splash plays, but you know what? I hate to break it down like this, JT, but you've grown at this point, so I can be a little bit more rated R. Even a blind squirrel gets a nut. Right? <laughs> everybody, everybody going to get an opportunity, right? And I'm not trying to be – I'm not trying to downplay it, but the reality is, is to sit there and look, and you in a position, you trade up 20 spots, and you go out and get an offensive player that we not only didn't even use, dropped a lot of passes, showed some signs of divaness, then you want to get critical about him in the offseason. Like, oh, he, you know, come on now. Meanwhile, your defense is getting gashed. Meanwhile, you still needed a linebacker. And I would have much rather had Devin Lloyd over – having a guy like Jamison Williams. Why? Because you gave up 241 yards in the first half against the Panthers. And don't get me started on all the other plays that you gave up on long runs against other opponents. Your linebacker room is about as strong as a alcoholic beverage at Chuck E. Cheese. It was not going to do anything for you. I'm just being, re being honest about it. And so you took that receiver after you just re-signed Josh Reynolds. After you had Amira St. Brown, after you added DJ Chop, you still had Khalif Raymond. You rid out and rebought back Trinity Benson. You still had Quintez Cephas coming off an injury, and you go and dress. Well, I just couldn't pass up the talent. Okay. So I go back and I ask you this question, JT, right? Not saying that what you said was wrong, but you were playing devil's advocate. Do you expect Jameson Williams to be better than Calvin Johnson? Uh, nah, nah, no, me neither. I don't need I don't. <laughs> but I, I will say this though. I will say this though. I did have Jamison Williams graded out as my number one wide receiver. And if you look at my wide receiver rankings, my QB rankings, RB rankings, 
most of them are pretty solid for the most part and if you watch you know some of my videos about prospect or you know like players who i really like that teams drafted such as jack jones cornerback out of arizona state that new england drafted in the mid portions of last year he ended up being one of the best rookie cornerbacks in the league nobody really talked about him it's like i think the potential of jamison williams is that he could be one of the best receivers in the league because we know that speed kind of kills and speed is something that a lot of people are looking at and i just look at the upside for Jamison Williams, which I am expecting a big season out of Jamison Williams. I, I, I'm not one of those people that's going to make excuses for Jamison Williams if he doesn't go out and he shits the bed this year. Like, I'm going to just be straight up honest with you. 2023, this year, I'm expecting Jamison Williams to have a Pro Bowl caliber season and at least over 1,100 yards. No, I, listen, if you get that kind of expectation there as a fan, I'm like, cool. I, I expect you to have that. But whenever I hear people do this hype over Jamison Williams, I ask them, is he going to be better than Calvin Johnson? And nobody wants to say yes to that. And so if he's not better than Calvin Johnson, then let's hold our horses acting like we just stole something. We didn't steal nothing. We could have got we could have got Pickett, who went to you to, to your team. We could have got him and been just fine. Just fine. Right. And again, the worst part of this team, three years in under Brad Holmes, was well, we're gonna say we're gonna take the third year because it's just his third year, but it's still the defense. Most of the games you lost last year was due to the, the, the negligence of the defense. And that makes it five years of uh, neglecting the defense. And so my only critical thing with him is I would rather he address the defense appropriately. That's all it is. Last year I was screaming, take cornerback, take a safety, take those guys. Then Kirby Joseph come in, get a few interceptions against Aaron Rodgers, and everybody crowned him. And then he turned right around the next week and get torched by a tight end that nobody really talked about. Like, I'm not, I wish I could make this stuff up, but I'm not. This is just the reality. Well, he's a rookie, Luke. Okay, cool. But so is Sauce Gardner. Well, everybody ain't Sauce Gardner. I know. Yeah, Jack so Jones. Uh, Jack Jones. So pretty good. Jones, Tariq Woolen. That's what I'm saying. Keep going. You can go down the list. I don't want to hear this rookie talk. At the same time that these people want to tell me, oh, he was a rookie, I don't hear that rookie talk from Malcolm Rodriguez. And I'm telling you right now, this is how you know the linebacker room was weak. Malcolm Rodriguez won't start on no – if you looked at the season last year and the rosters were set for the 53-man roster, Malcolm Rodriguez wouldn't have been one of the starters, only on the Detroit Lions. And so my attitude to it is, is, you know, I'm always going to be on the wait and see. I want to see him really fully, impactfully address the defense. What he does is he gets real cheap on the defense, and he always gives a really good weapon to the offense. He doubled down on Jared Goff when he restructured that deal and, 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 and gave him guaranteed money where we could have let him go and picked up maybe over 40 million dollars in cap space. You know, But he doubled down on him. He doubled, he'd been doubling, tripling down on Jared Goff by adding everything he could to that man. He's giving him everything. Meanwhile, I have to watch Aaron Glenn figure out how to make chicken noodle soup with tomatoes. And I'm trying to figure out why, why are we screaming fire the head coach? That's my only criticism of Brad Holmes. He has not been perfect. I'm not going to say that. Nobody is. But I'd be damned if I come in and look at a team and say the worst part of the team is defense and I invest all my high-end energy into the offense. And that's what he did. You he think did he was that. saying, you think he would, well, it's like, it's not like he hasn't, attempted to improve the defense but i i get what you're saying but he, but but he hasn't though people. he hasn't but what he about hasn't. him though 
He definitely could have. He definitely could have whiffed on James Houston. And now, so let so let's let's talk about the James Houston thing, right? Because I love that we don't talk about these late picks and stuff, right? And I get it, right? James Houston was a pleasant surprise. I love that. It was a great thing. Melko Rodriguez for a lot of people was a pleasant surprise. I love that, right? But now look at it. You you know, for all the pleasant surprise that James Houston was, what do you see the media and everybody still mocking to the Lions? Edge rusher. Now they want to act like James Houston can't be an every down edge rusher. I don't know why, but that's what they're doing. So my thing is, yeah, we can give him credit for that. But for every guy you name like that, I can give you a guy he's drafted that you can go, oh, like Levi Anzarike. Right? You want to tell me about Michael Rodriguez? Let's talk about Iffy. Right? So, yes, you're not going to hit on every pick. I get that. Right? But what we're doing is we're choosing to selectively pick the best parts. I'm looking at the big picture. And what I'm saying is, is even the guys that you name are late round picks. The highest pick that he took for the defense came in Aiden Hutchinson. Prior to that, the highest pick that he took for the defense came in Levi Ansarike. When you go to the free agency, the biggest free agency uh, defensive re- uh, acquisition he added was who? I wait. <laughs> but watch this. But watch this. Let's flip it to the offensive side of the ball. Name the big uh, offensive acquisitions that he added. You can go down the list. Chart. You can go down. You can go and, and, and just in free agency. David Montgomery. He took. He took a chance on uh, on Ter- uh, Terrell Williams. Perry, man, he brought him in. He was bringing it. These are all hurt people, all scraps. He traded for Trinity Benson, right? He's he's added so many things. He brought in Jamal Williams, right? You can add all these things in. I'm not just looking at the draft. I'm looking at the big picture. I'm looking at free agency. I'm looking at trades. I'm looking at the draft, the, the whole picture. And to me, my criticism comes from that. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't hate the man. It's not that. I just don't like when people get to saying fire the coach. And I'm trying to figure out, well, who are these defensive players that you like? You didn't get them until year two. Right? You get them in year two, and it's like, okay, cool. But I get you. All, all his picks, you look at his first draft, who was his top pick? His first draft. Uh, that was three years ago, right? That that was Jeff Okuda, wasn't it? Nope. Was that's, that that's that's Quinn? I won't I won't see what I'm saying. And as a as a guy who covers the whole NFL, I know you be paying attention to this stuff. So I'm asking you, who was his first pick? Man. And the reason I'm asking you that question is because it's going to show you uh something that you're gonna go, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Man, I can't even remember. You got to tell me. All right. So if you go through and you were to look at Brad Holmes' very first draft, where he got a chance to make his very first pick, he took Penny Sue, a guy who was a guy who was supposed to be a perennial uh, left tackle. He brought him in, and made him a right tackle, and in most circumstances, people would have t- they would have scalded him for that. And then most mm-hmm. people, the Lions fans who did it, was like, "Oh, you know, you you get him, you can trade Taylor Deck." And I'm like, "No, you complete the offensive line by getting him and let him play right because he can play mm-hmm. right." And then when because the time Taylor Deck, yeah, like a lot of people, De- go ahead. Like a lot of people got this misconception that like you can draft a right tackle and a left tackle and they can play 
whichever spot just because they just look at it as offensive tackle. But I was talking to somebody who plays offensive tackle and he was like, you know, even a lot of people just look at it as playing tackle, but making that transition between the opposite sides isn't that easy. It's kind of it's kind of foreign a little bit because people look at it. The casuals look at it as all oh, it's offensive tackle, but it's different technique. It's like learning how to write with your opposite hand that you're not yep. that strong. Yep. with. Yep. And so, again, I don't scold him for doing that. I'm just showing you that he invested into the offense heavily. He did. Because after he did that that year, after he took Tyrell Williams and all the other people, he then – I, I wanted Amaron St. Brown in the second round. I thought that, you know what, if he's – there's no way he's going to slip. He slipped to the fourth. I went, oh, my God. When we took him, it's video evidence. I, I lost it. I was so happy, so excited. Him and Derek Barnes. Now, Derek Barnes, in my opinion, is not being used the way that I would expect him to be used, but I get it. And I'm starting to realize that a lot of these players that people want to say are not good or not bust, they're not busted. They're not not good. They're just not being used the same way they were used in college that made you want them in the first place. But when you go through and you look at it, when you go through and you look at it, he's invested in the offense. And if I did what he drafted them, he drafted all these players. These are all defensive players. I don't care. You took it. I don't care. Your acquisitions, for most part, you built up the offense. And you did that heavily in the first year. And you can't tell mm -hmm. me the second year he built up the defense because that's not what happened. He, he drafted who he, he, yeah, he drafted who he drafted, and he added a bunch of scraps. How the hell does Ellis Anzalone keep getting a job with us? Like, I want to know what pitches he got. How does Will Harris get a job with us? You know, let, let me he, ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let's segue to this, right? What could what are some of the biggest needs that the Detroit Lions have, you know, as we approach the draft? Because that's just around the corner. There are a lot of mock drafts that still have the Lions taking a receiver. A lot of Lions fans like the idea of potentially drafting. You watched a lot of Fendon Hooker, so you know who Jalen Hyatt is. You got Jamison Williams arguably one of the fastest receivers in the league. You add Jalen Hyatt, who is one of the fastest receivers, maybe the fastest coming out of this year's draft. How would you feel about that? What would be your ideal draft for the Detroit Lions this year? Jalen Carter at, at six. At eight, I would prefer us to get, like, praying and barring that he's still there, like Joey Porter Jr., um, I mean, at 18, not eight, but at 18, uh, in the second round at 48, I would prefer they double down and, and go get a linebacker, a, a, a legitimate linebacker who can threaten to take the off ball linebacker position from Alex Anceloni. No, legitimately. Noah Sewell, Penny Sewell's brother. Out of I, listen, listen, listen. I listen. They love doing family affairs anyway. That's, that's how we end up getting both the, the core brothers, right? But I'm just saying, like, I, I want I want it. If you notice that my picks are all on defense, first three picks are all on defense, right? Like, and, and, and two of them are to shore up the middle of the field. Like, you get Dylan Carter, you can shore the middle of the field up. I'm not saying that Lee McNeil couldn't do it, he just can't do it by himself. He just can't. And so you can short the middle of that field up by getting another competent, more dominating, penetrating type defensive tackle, right? And you get the linebacker, right? You get your cornerback because I can assure you this, 
that Joey Porter Jr. is the best corner in this draft from what I've seen. There's a few other people that might be close to him, but I'll leave that for another day. But then after I go those first three picks, mind you, we got five picks in the top 81. Okay. Then what I would do is I would come back with that next pick at 55. So we are at 48. I'll take the linebacker. At 55, I'm sitting up there. And if somehow, some way, Handle Hooker makes it all the way down there, I doubt it. I take the quarterback. But if Handle Hooker's not down there at 55, I draft the, the next best tight end. That's what That's I do. Tight end class too. So I would draft the next top tight end. And then we get to that third round. With that third round, I'm now going to add another linebacker. Because at that point, I'm trying to generate enough talent on defense that moving forward, I don't have to worry about, you know, what am I getting on my line? I think our linebackers are hot garbage. They just are. So that's how I would do it if it was up to me. But it's not up to me. You know, I, I have to see how he wants to do this. I think I think we're going to find out a lot about Brad Holmes if, if, if Dorsey ever leaves. Gotcha. And who and who is this this Dorsey guy? What what does he do in terms of like his role within the Lions organization? All right. So you remember um um what is this the, the, the Browns? Mm -hmm. Right? You remember the Browns team? They had a they had a general manager um named John Dorsey. Well, oh, I remember him. That's the dude who was making all the big splash signings uh -huh. for him. He was one yep. who signed Odell, Jarvis. Yep. I yep. remember him, and they fired him. They fired him. Well, the Lions picked him up, and he's the senior personnel executive. And so while so basically what the Lions have figured out is, is they figured out that I need to have a comparable backup to the starter, right? And so every person has it. So, like, for example, yeah, you got Brad Holmes, but John Dorsey is the guy who he leans on. And if you watch many of the end of the damn videos, you see John Dorsey telling him to calm down, calm down, let it come to you. It's going to happen. And you see Brad Holmes over there like, oh, you know, he antsy. I get it, right? But when you go through and you look at the whole entire team, when you looked at when they brought in Dan Campbell, they brought in two other uh, coaches that could have been a head coach over him with Anthony Lynn. Then they moved on from Anthony Lynn, and they made Deuce the backup, who could have then been the coach if they needed him to go. Then Deuce left, right? They brought in another guy to be the assistant coach, uh, Montgomery, the, the running backs coach. And then on the defense side of the ball, you had you had Don Capers, who was the 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 competent backup and support to Aaron Glenn. And so you know now he's gone. What they do? They go out and get John Fox to assist. So they're keeping the talent within the organization there but a lot of the stuff that's happening i believe is 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 closely related to john dorsey uh basically being there as a mentor of such or a coach of himself to what's happening and so i you know that's why i say it depends on what happens when john dorsey leaves that's why you know i pointed that out and then you think that john dorsey is going to end up getting another general manager job with you know the oh, yeah. role that he's played yeah, absolutely. Because at that point, you know, at that point, you're going to have to bump him up 
in pay and in position, which again, his position is pretty up there, but you're going to have to bump him up to keep him. Otherwise, he'd just take another GM job somewhere and, and you know, keep it pushing. People, everybody, listen, there's going to be some teams this year who are going to be like, we're done with this coach. We're done with that coach. I need a new general manager. And he's going to be on the list. Absolutely. So, I believe. I, I I remember John Dorsey now. I, I remember that name. You kept saying Dorsey. I was about to ask, like, what's his full name? And then you said, I was like, I remember him. I do remember him. And he yeah, did a John very Dorsey. good job at acquiring talent and free agency his drives were pretty good too like ah, it makes sense now and it kind of reminds me like you remember i don't know if you remember but back in was it the 2013 2014 draft when blake bortles and johnny manzel and teddy i think it was 2014 wasn't it 2014 what are you, what are you talking about with, with teddy bridgewater yeah and johnny manzel I can't I can't remember what draft it was, but I remember Jerry Jones wanted Johnny Manziel and his son said, no, nah, don't 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 you take Johnny Manziel. You better take Zach Martin. And they pretty much took Zach Martin due to the help of Jerry Jones getting a little bit of advice from his sons and stuff like that. So John Dorsey kind of has that role. He's kind of like an advisor to Brad Holmes in a sense. And, and not to mention, if you look at the resume of John Dorsey and what he's done, he also helped uh, that in, in 2020, he was a, like a front office consultant to the, the Eagles. Mm. Right. And, and then before that, before that, he was the general manager of Kansas City from 2013 to 2017. Mm. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he, before, before the Eagles, he was with he's the general manager of the Cleveland Browns from 2017 to 2019. And then he was with Kansas City 2013 to 2017. So Kansas City, Cleveland, Philly, and now Detroit. It's a pattern where this man is gone. It's almost like the Bill Belichick thing where um, – I mean, not Bill, but Bill Parcells. You know how Bill Parcells would be brought in to rebuild teams? This guy, everywhere he's gone, he has acquired talent. He has 100% acquired talent everywhere he went. When he was with Kansas City and became the general manager of Kansas City, you know the first thing he went out and did? Hire Andy Reid. Just, just think about this. These are, these are moves that you just can't make up. When you look at the moves he added, in terms of free agency, he was he was very instrumental in bringing in Derek Johnson and Jamal Charles and Jeremy Macklin and somebody like just look at his history. And then you right? talk about the decision to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. Man, listen, bro. I can't. I listen. I'm just I, again. I'm not saying Brad Holmes don't do nothing. I'm just saying he has somebody that he can lean on. A very good mentor. Seems like, it seems like you guys got the wrong guy in the general manager position. No, no, no. I want him where he's at because I want him to be able to, to have a, a approach to it that allows him to say, you know what, I like what you see here, but if you don't feel really good about this, don't make this move. And he's grooming them. And him being in that room also allows other people to see how he does business and how he evaluates and stuff. So I like the teacher position of it because it allows for other people to see it. In my opinion, the guy that I think is in training to learn how to do this job if Brad Holmes don't work out is already on the team. And I think that's Chris Spielman. I think Chris Spielman is, is picking the brain and learning everything he can from John Dorsey. You want to know but, something crazy? I was just about to say, if John Dorsey gets a GM job, 
maybe Rick Spillman could potentially end up filling that role because Rick Spillman had a really good run as the GM for the Minnesota Vikings. I actually want to get him on the pod soon. Yeah, but they got his brother here already. And so you get a chance to learn from your brother where he learned. You get a chance to learn from John Dorsey as well. I'm just making the points that the Lions are going to be in a position where they can truly do some things. And to me, the expectations are going up. And so at that point, we have to see how they respond to higher expectations. Because when they go up for the team, they go up for every player on the team. Now, in my opinion, based on what James Houston did, he would 100% have earned a starting spot, in my opinion. In fact, they've gotten people like Romeo Accord to take a pay cut. Great, right? Which is usually another word for we give you most of that money up front and then you're going to get a reduced amount over that time. Cool, right? But James Houston would be my starter because for a guy to come in and do what he did, I had a lot of people mad last year when I said he's the best pass rusher on his team. Oh, no, he isn't. Okay. Aiden Hutchinson is. Listen, sir. This is just not the truth. Okay, we can we can try this if you want, but no, this is not it. So again, that you have to look at everything in a big picture vacuum, right? The the Lions' expectation per Vegas say that we should be winning the division. The fans should probably look at that and go, "Do we have enough to win a division? Did we do enough to win a division?" Because the biggest problem that you came into the to the season with was what defense. And have, the, and have the Lions done enough to address those needs? We're going to find out when the draft comes. And then we're going to find out after the draft comes when they hit that second to third wave of free agents. We're going to find out when they make some trades. Because to me, if I'm if I'm the Lions, if it's me on the I'm calling up Arizona and being like, after the draft or something, being like, hey, you got Xavier Collins. Mm, you got, you know, you got, you got, you got, you know, what do you want for Isaiah Simmons? Hey, I tell you what, we gonna be gonna write a wrong. I'll send you a cooler. You send me Isaiah Simmons, and I give you a pick. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't don't but, do don't do Arizona like that. Even though Cuda, ah, I don't know, man. You know how we talk about Cuda. I, I told people if if a Cuda plays safety, he'll be phenomenal. Absolutely. No, so me and you both been saying that for how many years? He's a safety. I get I got cussed out for it. Man, we both did. <laughs> both both did. It's like we we both did. But if you guys haven't already, make sure that you guys listen to the JT Sports podcast. Every single episode of the podcast, every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms: Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. Wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports podcast. Rate us five stars if you enjoy. Share this episode on your social media platforms with your friends, family members, and acquaintance. Once again, we got special guest Luke G's Field Review on. Make sure that you guys subscribe to his YouTube channel. I want to keep going, though. I want to go a little bit off Detroit now. This Lamar Jackson contract situation, you know, a lot of people been talking about it. A lot of people been trying to figure out what's next for Lamar Jackson. And I don't know if you've seen my Instagram reel, but it, it did over 130K views. And all I really said was that when it comes to paying Lamar Jackson, regardless if he wants a fully guaranteed deal or how much fully guaranteed money he wants, the hindrance for him getting what he's asking for, I think, has been the fact that he's been unable to stay healthy for the last two years. And I feel like that's a pretty reasonable point that a reasonable point. 
the NFL is a business. And plus, nobody really wants to give out that kind of guaranteed money that the Browns gave out to Deshaun Watson. So the owners really are trying to make sure that not just Lamar, but more players don't get fully guaranteed deals. And when you look at Lamar Jackson's future in Baltimore, what what do you think happens? Because they put the non-exclusive franchise tag on them. Any team can offer him. But if they want to sign them, they have to give up two first round picks. And of course, they have to pay them. How do you see this playing out? There was an article that came out recently where Lamar Jackson himself tweeted that he was offered a hundred and thirty three million dollar fully guaranteed deal. A hundred and thirty three million dollar fully guaranteed deal. I think it was like three years or something like that. Right. Um. I, I'm trying to remember how it was. Oh, I remember um, it was like a so it was basically this is what it was, right? It was supposed to be one of the biggest deals in the history of the league. It was supposed to be like a Russell Wilson kind of deal. So basically, he would have been paid somewhere around 49 million annually, right? And he would have been given 133 years fully guaranteed over the deal was rumored to be around five six years but the problem is that you know like it wasn't enough fully guaranteed money for him because the deal was supposed to be uh, a total value of around 256 million which is around you know where russell wilson's contract is see i just look at it like this and this is what his tweet says you know, this is what this is what he says in his tweet. Um, you know, it says, um, hundred and thirty-three, three year fully guaranteed, but I need an agent. Yeah, you do, because why would you turn that down? Like, <laughs> mm. like, like I'm not trying to be funny, right? Like, even if you were to do the average, it's like forty-four point three million a year, right? He's trying to get closer. He feels that he should get paid more than Deshaun Watson. He should be right behind Patrick Mahomes. That's what he feels. All right. I get it. But you're talking about a fully guaranteed deal for a guy who has not played a full season in his career yet. Right. And my attitude to it is, is if I'm a team looking at Lamar Jackson, I'm going to give up two first round picks and that man turned down 133 million fully guaranteed for three years. What do I got to pay him? What does he and want? I, 50, 55 million a year. And I think that's what the problem is. Like you see a lot of people in the media when they started talking about the potential of what Lamar Jackson could be getting paid prior to the season started. They all were expecting him to get a market breaking deal or a market setting deal. Right. But then he ends up having a deadline where, you know, he wants the deal to be reached or if not, he wants to focus on the season. And what a lot of people don't really want to admit is that Lamar played this season and he rolled the dice and gave it on himself. He wanted to prove that he was worth the contract that he was asking for, rather if it was fully guaranteed or a certain amount of guaranteed money, he betted on himself. Because the Ravens and Lamar Jackson have two different viewpoints on how they view his market value. And what Lamar Jackson's 
market value is isn't what well his market value and his opinion isn't close to what the league values him or even the ravens which is why they went ahead they put the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, which is similar to how nba free agency works and they pretty much said you know what we're going to let the league dictate your value but it seems like none of these nfl teams want to do the heavy lifting for the baltimore ravens because they might feel like the ravens will match any offer so it's like with lamar jackson it's like if you're a gm and you're eric DaCosta and you're in this situation with lamar how do you play this situation well that's the problem you know because you got to look at it if he doesn't if he play it and say well i'll just play under the franchise tag you talking about 32 million a year right mm -hmm. like and if you are looking at it you you know the by by the average of the year aaron Rodgers is the highest paid quarterback mm -hmm. right uh followed by russell wilson and then for the people who wonder where i'm getting this from it's over the cap feel free to go check it out followed by russell wilson followed by kyler murray followed by Deshaun Watson, then Patrick Mahomes, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, my attitude to it is, is you had a deal that would have put you right behind Patrick Mahomes. It would have put you ahead of Josh Allen. It would have put you ahead of Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, Stafford, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. You'd have been ahead of all of them. You're trying to get a deal that puts you ahead of certain people and i get it but the reality is is this is not going to work out in your favor because if you sit out they still hold the rights to you mm -hmm. and you lose money and it doesn't and benefit you because you got to be on the field to play to show what to show that you're worth the contract that you want and and if if you play and try to play that oh i'm hurt card that mm -hmm. don't help you because you already been hurt exactly exactly so, as far as I'm concerned, it behooves him to get a deal done. Now, he can try to wait it out, you know, throughout the season and say, oh, okay, I'm just waiting. But yeah. at the end of the day, he don't really have, like, a, unless there's a card that ain't nobody told me about. You know how in Uno, you know how you get that guy that be like, I got Uno, and you get the draw four waiting for him? That Unless <laughs> he got a draw four waiting for him, I don't know what to tell him. Yeah, it's like, I think the media like and this is what frustrates me it's like people seem to not understand how the nfl works nobody gives a damn that you want mvp in 2019 because you want to know why that was 2019 it's 2020 we live in a world that asks what have you done for me lately right and it's kind of the same the similar thing with cam newton like cam newton thinks that he's still the same player that he was when he won MVP, and he's obviously not. And I think with Lamar Jackson, listen, if the dude didn't have the injury concerns, I wouldn't have any problem giving him the money that he's asking for because the dude, when he plays, he wins 75% of his games. He is one of the most talented QBs in the league. I understand that. And I really think with Lamar Jackson, even if he's not asking for a fully guaranteed deal, I really think the issue is the guaranteed money. And I do think he has a pretty good point with that. Like, even though 133 million guaranteed isn't bad, I do think it's a tad bit disrespectful. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes gets 141.5 million guaranteed. Josh Allen's getting 150. And you say, well, JT, Lamar isn't better than Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And I probably would agree with that.
But then you got Aaron Rodgers, who his contract had 150 mil guaranteed. Russell Wilson has 165 guaranteed. Kyler Murray has 189.5 million guaranteed. And we know about Deshaun Watson, but even if you don't want to include the Deshaun Watson thing, it's like you got Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers getting more fully guaranteed money. So it's like, would you give Lamar 200 million guaranteed? I, I feel like I feel like it's not the the fully guaranteed money that's the issue for him. I feel like it's it's the clauses that they're going to put in there, right? Like, hey, if you know you get this money if you play this many games, mm. right? Mm. Now and that's that becomes and, and that becomes right, right, like and that's where that's where that. the problem comes in at because now you're talking about okay, so if I sit there, if I look at his history, right? If I look at his history of of um been on the field right uh and if i did it just based on game starts right i just did it based on game starts i didn't do it i didn't look at total games he played or or um or anything like that right and he's been in the league what five years about yeah so that means he averages about 12 games a season so if i were Mm. to put a clause in there that says Hey, if you play 14 games, you, you meet the standard. I can see that being a problem because now the power still lies on the team to turn around and be like, oh, you hurt. Yeah, you can't come in because you're hurt. And they can still get around having to pay that money that way. So I think it's more the clauses that's the issue than it is to fully guarantee money. Keep in mind, he was offered 133 for three years. And in my opinion, most of these these players need to start betting on themselves with shorter deals with the most money they can get in that short deal. Mm. And then telling the team, hey, you know what? I played three years on this one, but I won't I'll, I'll give the fully guaranteed deal for three years, but that third year I want option on it. What, what you mean you want option? I want option. Meaning if I lived above my, my three year contract, I get to come back and ask for more money. And if you don't want to negotiate, I can opt out of my contract. Now, now we're talking business. But that's what they do in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They'll sit there and get their money, but they'll put an option in there and be like, yeah, I don't like how this going. I'm out. Yeah, right? but you see, in the NBA, though, it's like it's a player's league. In the NFL, though, it's like the players don't have as much control because the owners, you know, like they're so good at being able to, you know, make team-friendly deals. And in the NBA, it's like it's more player-centric. You're more at because, the mercy of the players. Because, because in the NFL – Players don't know how to fully value themselves appropriately to do it. So, for example, if I come to you right now, right, and let's say, JT, you decide to sell a, a, a brand new PS5. If you come and I, and I say, how much you want for the PS5? And you say, well, how much you willing to give? And I say, I'll give you $100 for it and you take it. You think I give a shit if you, if you cheated yourself? No. No. You need to figure out a way to value yourself appropriately. And, and, and mm-hmm. to me... A guy who was really good at that was Dale Reeves. Mm-hmm. Even Richard was Sherman was good at that. He was able to, yeah, you know, you was able to, you know, they were able to get people to value them and get these short deals and get what they wanted out of it. And so to me, what Lamar is doing, I'm not mad at because, you know, when you look up and see that Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed $230 million deal. And I'm feeling like I'm better than him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, let's start like, there. Let's start like, with that number. It's like, how do you think the, because like, I've never been, we, we don't know how 
it is being in a room when contract negotiations are ongoing between the player and the organization. It's like, how do you really think it's playing out? So let's say I'm Lamar Jackson and you're Eric DaCosta and the Baltimore Ravens owner. And I tell you, hey, man, like, I need the kind of money that Sean Watson's getting. And you're saying, no, nah, bro, like, we love you, bro, but you've been injured for two years in a row and Lamar Jackson. He has no agent. So you're basically face to face telling somebody, no, you're not worth what you're asking for. Like, do you think that kind of makes it a little bit personal or Lamar Jackson still is able to distinguish that this is just the business part of it? Do you think like if the Ravens give him the deal that if they come to an agreement on a deal, do you think that would be able to mend their problems or do you feel like the relationship kind of has soured so much because Lamar probably feels like the Ravens don't value him and he might just want out. I feel like business is personal, right? If me and you are doing a transaction, it's got to be personal. You're talking about my money being spent to you or you spending your money with me. It's got to be personal, right? And it's not a matter of him saying, oh, do y'all value me or not? It's a matter of him having to understand what gives him the best chance to secure his legacy. So if he really wants to secure uh, secure his legacy and be able to say, you know what, I was the greatest quarterback in the NFL history or whatever he want to do to try to you know establish his legacy, you probably not you probably need to figure out how to take a big enough deal that's going to be able to be reworked over and over and over to get talent around you. This is something that Patrick Mahomes learned quickly from Tom Brady. He he's done it over, restructured and restructured. Give me this money up front, I'll take it, you know, and we'll just keep working it from there. As long as I got my money, it ain't like I'm losing out. So if he's going to do that, cool. I think that for him going into it, he's looking at it and saying, I have been the best thing on your squad. And prior to me, here's what the problem is. But he runs into a problem. He runs into a year where Huntley did A-OK. He runs into a team who has won, who has won Super Bowls. With Hasselback, what, what the hell is the damn name? Uh, no, Trent. Uh, Trent what's it, the hell that damn Trent Dilfer? Trent Dilfer is the damn name. They just looked alike them that the bald head thing. But you're saying, you know, he's one. They're one with that. And then on top of that, you have a chance to draft a quarterback that you can sit this year. But mm -hmm. the real problem is, is and I hate to say it this way, but it's the reality. The NFL needs to stop paying quarterbacks all this money. The highest mm -hmm. paid position in the NFL should be edge rushers. Mm. They should be edge rushers and left tackles and or, or left and right tackles. Why? Because the quarterback, everything he does is contingent upon everybody else being in the right spot in the perfect time sequence. Mm -hmm. But the tackle is a standalone thing. He has to mm -hmm. block that guy out, right? The pass, pass rusher is a standalone. They don't depend on a D tackle. You're the edge. You depend on a whooping the guy in front of you butt and getting to the quarterback and getting to the running back to close off the lanes. So, so when the NFL starts to realize, stop paying these quarterbacks like this, it'll stop. But to people who have played quarterback in college, people who have played quarterback in high school, to people who feel like, no, a quarterback should be the highest pay, it's the most important position, blah, 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 blah. Right? To the people who say that, okay, cool. But in a league where you have a salary cap, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know what you, I mean? It's like if you allocate so much money to Lamar – how are you going to be able to pay right. everybody else? And it's like, how do you pay everybody else? And I feel like the Ravens are in a bad spot because, like, this makes them look really bad. You know, and the Ravens have always been viewed as 
one of the classiest organizations in the NFL. So it's the fact that, you know, what does it say to your locker room? Because you, I don't know if you've seen like the other players that, you know, like the interaction that Rashad Bateman had because his GM pretty much said that, uh, I don't really think I've done a great job of drafting receivers. And he kind of felt a little bit slighted with that. And I just think that, you know, with Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, potentially Trevor Lawrence about to go into deals. I feel like Joe Burrow really is going to be that quarterback who really completely breaks the market and gets way more than what Deshaun Watson made fully guaranteed. Yep. What's your thoughts on that before we move on to the last thing? I, I feel like Joe Burrow has been in, in a trajectory that is very scary and remnant, reminiscent of what you would expect out of a quarterback. And so my, my attitude to it is, is if he breaks the bank, I feel bad for him because again, you're in a salary cap league. And so the more money they give you, the less money they have to put to other resources. Mm -hmm. So you better be prepared to live up to that bill. Cause everybody looks at the bill. I don't care. I mean, even in life, you know, even in life, you take a girl out, you ask her where she want to go. She don't name McDonald's or she don't name Chipotle. She started naming these fancy restaurants. You're trying to figure out wh what are we talking about here? Like, because at that point, the bill is going to be there, right? And so I'm not saying that that means that you're entitled to anything. I'm not saying that you should be expected to get anything in return. But what I'm saying is too much is given, much is expected. And so I just think that Joe Burrow is going to change a lot of that, change a lot of that up. But if he's smart, he'll get his money and he'll figure out how to do it which would still allow for him to add talent and do it. Because if he gets his money and then they mess around and pay Jamar Chase, now all your money wrapped up in two players on offense. That's mm -hmm. a bad situation. Now, the last thing I want to ask you before we let you go, we appreciate you being on here. How good do you think Justin Fields will be and 2023 now you're a lions fan now now you you watch justin fields now the second time you played against justin fields you pretty much shut him down but the first time this dude was going ham like from watching justin fields do you think he could have like a jalen hurts kind of ascension or do you think he's kind of going to be stuck in the mode of a pretty okay dual threat quarterback kind of in that vince young category he'll make a couple of pro bowls but Long term, he just isn't a valuable solution as your franchise QB. I think it depends on how you view his head coach and his offensive coordinator, right? If they if they understand how to use his strengths, then he can be sky's the limit, right? But if you're telling me that you're going to ne neglect and continue to fail to build an offensive line around him, yeah, he's going to struggle. You're telling me that, hey, we move on from David Montgomery and you go out and sign Homer. Okay. You bring in Foreman. All right, cool. You already have uh, Khalil um, Herbert. Herbert. So, okay. But if those guys can't get going behind an offensive line that can't keep people up right, what are we talking about here? So, again, this is one of the reasons why I don't believe in paying these quarterbacks this money because everything is too contingent upon other stuff being appropriate. I've watched people who was able to survive those beatings like Stafford, right? I've watched people who started getting hit and couldn't handle it and started crying like Aaron Rodgers. Spent all the time being clean, having every top receiver you can get. And then all of a sudden they take the receivers away 
and give you some newer receivers who are just as good, but your line ain't that strong and we, we're whining. So it depends on how you view the, the, the head coach. It's a, it depends on how you use the offensive coordinator. Justin Fields, in my opinion, um, like many quarterbacks, if a storm is perfect, they'll perform. I don't care who it is. Hell, look at Geno Smith. Talk about mm -hmm. a resurgence. Talk about a resurgence. All they did was say, run the ball, make him throw, throw a few passes short here and there. He'd be okay. That's all they did. So when you look at it, tell me tell me how you feel about their offensive coordinator. You know, Tell me what you think about their head coach. And tell me, do you believe that those people can come up with a game plan that uses his skills? When you look at the Eagles, Jalen Hurts succeeded because they used him similar to how they would use him in college. They let him move the pocket. They let him move around. The line was taught, hey, we're going to call plays where you're taught to move your line and your blocking assignment to the right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, this is a bootleg. Y'all going to move to the right. He's going to bootleg out to the left and get him in space. If it's not there, take off a run. See, they were doing things to do that. And a lot of times these coaches and these teams get players and they don't use them to the strength or to the way that they was used in college that got them drafted. And that's the problem. So if you're telling me that Jalen Hurts is going to be used to the strength that got him drafted, then he's going to be a problem. But if you're telling me that they ain't quite figured out how to build something around him, then he's about as harm as uh, he's about as har uh, harmful as eating blueberries in the wild. <laughs> right? Like it's nothing going to it's not going to shake anything up. Like I said, it's one of those things. And so um, you you have to do that. Um, you know, um, you know, you have to do that when looking at it, okay? You know, you have to look at how he's going to be used in period. You know what I'm saying? How, how are they going to view him? Who do you think is the best rookie cornerback in this draft class? The consensus out there is either Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon, my God, Devon Witherspoon out of Illinois, or Joey Porter Jr. out of Penn State, the son of Joey Porter. Who do you think is the top cornerback in this draft class? Why you feel they are the best cornerback in this class and what separates them from the others? To me, the number one is Joey Porter Jr. But you got to also have to look at what you want, right? If you want a more physical corner, who I think is probably teetering closer to a safety position, then you might want Witherspoon, right? You know what I mean? You might want Witherspoon if you want the more physical physicality dude. But my problem with Witherspoon, he he doesn't lack the full ball skills that I would like to see from a corner. I've seen too many times where he's running with receivers, the receivers looking back, and he hasn't turned his head yet. He just throws his arm up. I don't like that. Um, Christian Gonzalez to me is one of the guys that I look at and I go, he has all the talent in the world, and he knows it. The problem is, is because he knows it, he sometimes plays a little too cocky, in my opinion. And mm -hmm. when I look at him, I think to myself, you would make 20, 20 more plays if you actually stay sound in your technique. He relies so much on his athletic ability that at times he gets lazy in his technique. And I've seen him face guard people down the field or not even touch you at the line of scrimmage. And I'm trying to figure out, well, you in press position. Why are you putting them hands on him? Play mind games with him. And he doesn't do that all the time. But Joey Porter, Junior? You get a little bit of it all around. You get a guy who can play with the ball skills, who can still be physical. He probably ain't as physical as Witherspoon, but he's very physical. And he has no problem harassing you down the field. He'll get you a few pass interference calls because he's going to beat the brace off you while he's in press position, right? He's going to get what they, you know, they say handsy and stuff. But I just look at, when I look at the cornerbacks, I feel like Joey Porter Jr. 
has shown me more consistent play than the other guys. So when you look at um, when you look at Joey Porter Jr., uh, a, a guy who you can go, okay, well he didn't do much. He didn't have the interceptions. I know. You know he didn't have. I know he didn't have a force. I know. It wasn't like he had all these tackles. I, I hear everything you're saying. But what he did do is he harassed the hell out of people, and the ball was not allowed to get to you. And that's what you want when you go through and you look at um, Witherspoon. Witherspoon, he was he was he was in that on that team for a minute. Play all four years at Illinois, right? Yeah, he got what four or five interceptions in his career. He got a forced fumble in his career. He got like twenty five passes flex, with the most of them coming in his last season, right? You're like, okay, cool. These are all great information. Oh, he got the tech. Right? You look at all that stuff, right? But when I look at him, he lacks some of the most basic stuff. And yes, it can be taught. But I'm like, bro, you need to know how to, you need to know when to play the the, the player and when to play the ball. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I've noticed in games on certain downs and distance, and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, a little bit too, a little bit too aggressive at times. That's my, yeah. And it's like, when it comes to me, I'm I'm a little bit conflicted between Joey Porter or Devon Witherspoon because with the with Devon Witherspoon, it's like the dude has a lot of great plays. And some people try to compare him to Jeff Okuda. I said, bro, don't don't disrespect my guy Devon Witherspoon like that's like I feel like in this draft class, when it when you look at Devon Witherspoon, it's like he has potential to be one of the best cornerbacks in the game. He could have an immediate impact right away, but it's just like can you really teach a player who's so used to being so aggressive and he can be really handsy at times? Like, can you really break somebody out of that habit? Yeah. Hey, listen, the moment you become uncoachable, then you're just not, you just, you, you're useless to me, right? Like, I don't want, if you're talking about, listen, let me tell you something. It's not just football. This is life. In life, you must be coachable. Somebody should be able to correct you in your life, whether it's your friends, your mother, your father, your pastor, whether it's your teacher, your co- somebody should be able to correct you and, and, and get you together. When you are uncoachable, you're useless. You've got all the answers. No. You ain't got no problems. Like it, it just that it sounds strange to say it out loud, but no, you cannot be uncoachable. Mm-hmm. And to me, yeah, I I you know, I don't. It, it, it can't, yeah, you, you can coach it out of him. I, I have to believe you can coach it out of him. When I look at Gonzalez, like I said, this guy really, really should have every season. He should average five interceptions a season. He should. He won't, but he should. And, and when you look at Jory Porter, you know, like his film, I think, may be the best because he went against Marvin Harrison Jr. And I, I'm pretty sure you already know about how much of a dog he is. And he did a out of all the cornerbacks who've matched up on them, Keely Ringo. I don't know if you remember Keely Ringo. That's the guy who everybody had mocked to the Lions <laughs> during the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but they, they're gonna they're gonna mock the cornerback because they're, they're they're that's their job. Their job is to create things to have conversations about. So that's their job. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I'm gonna mock these people to them because my job is to get people to talk, right? And so I get it, right? Like I, I fully, full-fledged get it. And when it comes to Jory Porter being the best cornerback in the draft, I probably – I'm still really high on Devon Witherspoon. You know, like 
I probably still would rank Devon Witherspoon number one over Jory Porter. I do like Jory Porter a lot. Maybe I am a little biased because I do have a friend that also played cornerback for Illinois um, named Tavon Nicholson as well. He had number 10. And Illinois' defensive coordinator, their defensive bass coach has done an incredible job. When you look at the cornerbacks Illinois has produced, Nate Hobbs, slot cornerback for the Raiders, only decent D-back that, they're, that they've drafted. And what, since the last decade, you also have Kirby Joseph at safety. It's like... I think Devon Witherspoon can turn out pretty well. He does have the versatility to play safety. He is scheme versatile. He can play man to man if you want to run. If you want to run a predominantly man defense, he can play zone cover three and whatnot. But overall, you know, like I pretty much would agree with you. Well, I I, I wouldn't. I I could understand why Joey Porter is your cornerback one and i'll push back against it like i probably would say it's one a one b between devon witherspoon and jory porter and you that's know that's how i view it no that's fair i mean at the end of the day the goal is is to we make a mistake in trying to find out who is the most pro ready right mm -hmm. who's the most pro ready day one starter guy but we should be trying to figure out who's going to be the better pro mm-hmm Right, like who's gonna be the guy that's gonna be the better player overall, long term, and everything like that. And when I evaluate cornerbacks, I go by people who have done it at a high level. What they say, I go by what Dion said. Dion said, if I'm in press position, I'm gonna play mind games with you. I may pop you this time, but the next four times, I may pop you four plays back to back. Hey, I may spend the whole corner putting hands on you, but by the second quarter, you get to reaching out, thinking I'm finna put you put you in a jam, and ain't nothing for you to grab on to. Now you don't slow your route up. Now I'm in your head. I look at people like Daryl Revis, who talks about how he uses the sideline to his advantage. He, you know, he keeps those receivers on the, on 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 the, on the outside to the sideline and dare them to try to make a catch in a smaller radius. So I take all that and I put it together and I look at cornerbacks and I say, who met those standards? That's why last year I thought we should, you know, we was going to take Sauce Gardner or Kyle Hamilton, and I was on the Kyle Hamilton train and everybody trying to make him mm -hmm. a linebacker. And, and I'm like, he's not a linebacker. Oh, yes, he is. I'm like, they've used that guy in the slot. They've used him at safety. They've used mm -hmm. him in the box. And I said, what you don't realize is they got more out of him than, than we did out of Kirby Joseph. But people are going to spin that differently because Kirby Joseph got the interceptions, right? But when mm -hmm. I was sitting there putting those same standards on an edge rusher to get sacks, I was told that that's not fair. So mm -hmm. I said, you have a biased fan base who see things a different way. But the reality is that I'm looking for those guys who are technically sound, those little things. Joey Porter Jr. wants to fight you in a phone booth. Mm -hmm. Gonzalez, Gonzalez thinks he's cute. So he expects for you to just come to him. Witherspoon mm -hmm. is like, okay, y'all, you know, I'm just a dog. Like if you were to if you were to break it down, like on some Dragon Ball Z stuff, Witherspoon would be like for cheetah right mm -hmm. and joey porter jr would be goku mm -hmm. and i feel like krillin would be gonzalez at least give him piccolo no nah, i can't give him piccolo he gets because <laughs> piccolo piccolo took pride in what he did oh yeah you see what i'm saying and and he, he, he piccolo wasn't cocky Piccolo, Piccolo's confidence was high because he had already put the work in. Mm -hmm. 
What with, with Gonzalez, he just relying on pure God gift talent. And I'm like, nope. The last time I saw that was a guy named Greedy Williams, and I adamantly mm -hmm. was against it. But I think he's better than Greedy Williams. I just I'm just telling you the attitude is what scares me. That's all. All right, everybody. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Once again, love having my guy Louis G on the pod. It was a pleasure having you on, man. We talked about a lot of things for a very long time, too, man. Very long yeah, I mean, time. Cut, cut it up, man. Make about four or five of them. Make about four or uh, five videos. Uh, you you already you already know you already know what we about to do. We about to squeeze. We got about at least eight segments out of this, man. But one more time, let the people know where they can find you at and what you have planned for the channel moving forward as we approach the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, look, it's Luke G's Fair Review uh, on YouTube. And what you can basically do is go to Luke G's Fair Review. You're going to see basically a photo of uh, Luke Cage, one of my favorite heroes uh, for a lot of reasons. But, um, yeah, you come on there. It's a show that's going to allow for you to be a part of it. You are a part of the content as much as I am. I may be the person facilitating it, but you are the reason that it works. Um, and it's a show that uh, is going to talk about the Lions and the Lions matchups throughout the season, their transactions, their moves. Um, you know, I generally do film study. I haven't done as much due to, you know, work, but I'm getting back around to it. And on top of it, you're going to get the, the cold, hard truth. You know, whether you agree or disagree, at least you know that you're going to get a consistent response from, from me. And, and that's what you can expect, an objective, consistent response. Once again, you guys make sure that you guys subscribe to Luke G's Field Reviews. Um, follow him on all of his social media platforms. I will have them linked down in the pinned comment section down below in the description. And make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. And once again, Luke G, thanks for coming on. Hey, listen, thanks for having me. Thanks for, you know, for the invite. Thanks for, um, you know, being a supporter of the channel. You know, I've been rocking with you for a minute. Uh, and, and it's been nothing but love, man. You, you went all the way from grade school to college and to probably in a few more years, be out of college and on TV. Then I ain't going to hear from you no more, but at least I can say, Hey, I, I, I was on his show. I was talking to him. I know him. Right. So it's, it's been a pleasure, man. I, I enjoy doing this a lot, man. For real. Man. I promise you, man, when I graduate, I graduated the end of this year. I graduated a little early. You'll probably still be hearing from me. I don't really like anticipate me you know trying to go big i kind of want to make this big you feel me so we definitely still going to remain in touch always enjoy your insight it's always a great time talking football and time goes by really fast when when you're talking football and you're having a great conversation you know and you can respect everybody's opinions and you can still disagree without you know having to call somebody a, a idiot and, and stuff like that like oh my goodness if i show if i when i after this, when we get off, I got to show you my Lamar Jackson reel. You just got to read the comments. It's like people were calling me a coon, saying I was like a racist or I was an Uncle Ruckus, all because I was like, bro, like this is just the business side of the NFL. But once again, thank you for coming on, Luke G. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast.